idiot. Frederick Dart had never been to Washington or spent time on Facebook or Twitter, where we have more failed idiots than even Mark Twain could make sport of. And I wouldn't call any of them smart. Confused yet? Good. Here's someone to make sense of the madness. His name is Dan Newman. Honestly, I don't know if I can do that. That's probably too big a job for me alone. It's going to take me with people like you. And let me say hello and thank you, thank you, thank you. Yesterday was a unbelievable broadcast debacle. Our streaming service, the satellite service up in Seattle, the beams this show live to 92 different countries, had streaming problems, obviously. You felt them. You heard them. And I'm so sorry for that. Please know that show went on in its entirety. What does that mean to you? Well, not just yesterday's show, but any show. You can pick up by going to any one of the podcast sites. Did you know there now are close to 30 podcast library sites where you can go get podcasts? Almost 30 are carrying TNN Live. And, of course, the big ones, the easy ones to get stories from and uh, podcasts from are right there on your iPhone. Uh, Apple has an iPod um, the, 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 the widget. I'm looking at it right now in the center of my iMac, uh, an app, iPod app. And all of these other ones have them as well. iHeartRadio, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Oh my gosh, and the list just goes on and on and on. And you can grab it yesterday's show. It was a really good show, I got to tell you. <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be the one the one you missed? You couldn't get streaming live. And I tell you, it was a really good show. They're all really good shows. I'm just being, you know, a little honest with you right now. I'm picking, I'm picking. You're the determiner. You're the arbiters of what shows are good and what shows are bad, but I'm going to tell you one thing you can't possibly push back on. The shows are always full of facts, and that's what you want. If you want a bunch of gossip, frilly things, you can go to TikTok. I mean, if you need to know how to get TikTok on your phone, just ask your kid, your 10-year-old, your 12-year-old. Kids today, they live, breathe, and sleep. The Chinese government's app, TikTok. That's who owns the company that owns TikTok. Now think about that for a moment. I know most parents today are saying, you can't have TikTok on your phones. We have six grandkids. Three of them are juniors in high school. Their mom said, "Uh uh-uh, no TikTok at all on your phones. And let me just tell you this. I'll just give you one reason why. Our daughter, her husband, my son-in-law, is the CEO of the medical company that I founded 32 years ago. Now, let me just put this in perspective. Both my daughter, who owns a company, a very successful company of her own, and then Scott, who's the CEO of a 32-year-old medical company, that, by the way, does business with hospitals around the United States, hundreds of medical providers. And his, that computer network system of that company is attached to every one of those hospitals. 
His kids have TikTok on their phones, and they share phone contact, mom and dad with twin daughters. That means the Chinese can access through TikTok. I'm not trying to scare you to death. It's absolutely being done. One of our closest friends works for an American company, and all he does is keep that company's info, its IT apparatuses, separate from TikTok. Now think about that. He's an IT professional, and his number one job is to protect his company from TikTok access. You don't think it's pretty easy for them to get to your phone through your kid's TikTok app? And if they can access your phone, they access everything about us. It's just a fact, folks. Well, what do we have today? We have a big show today, a really big second hour. Steve Baker's going to be here with us, and I'm going to give you a little tease. What he and I are going to talk about, and I'm just going to give you one word of what it is for you to be thinking about, accountability. Accountability. Now, that could go a lot of directions, but the direction we're going to go with it is accountability as it pertains to impacting your life. Now, that also could go a lot of directions, right? Well, we'll just put a little line up there and say, starting here, going going forward, going down, whichever one you want, here are the things that impact you the most, and most every other American, the most regarding accountability. It will frost you by the time we get to the end of that second hour today, I promise you. So what are we going to do in the first hour? Well, let's start with one of my favorite places, the Department of Justice. So as you know, Merrick Garland, who was a failed nominee by Barack Obama to become a United States Supreme Court justice, Joe Biden in payback made Merrick Garland his attorney general. So he runs the Department of Justice, and that means the FBI and all of the other agencies that do investigative thing, interrogations, uh, doing all those kinds of things that bring people to face justice, rather what they find is real or not. And Merrick Garland actually came out and said that this Congress, the 118th Congress, that's it's being controlled, very slim margin, but still being controlled by the GOP majority there. And he and several of his minions at the Department of Justice are rejecting some of the Republicans' request for documents regarding, well, a little bitty thing, you know, the classified Biden documents that are turning up almost every other day in a garage Uh, in somebody's kitchen cabinet. We don't know where they're all coming from, but they're just scattered all over. And so as the House oversight is supposed to do, it doesn't matter if it's controlled by Democrats or Republicans. Job one is to provide, now let me think about it. What would that committee be charged to provide? How about it? Oversight. Oversight of who? Not the American people. Oversight of the government. And so what did the House do immediately upon taking charge earlier this month? They sent out a bunch of letters 
to various government officials, which is fundamentally what happens in every Congress, saying, look, we need answers to these, and we need to see the documents that are involved in these. And they did just that regarding DocuGate. Joe Biden, President Joe Biden's unbelievable abridgment of the rules regarding protecting classified documents. Now, you immediately probably said, well, look at what Donald Trump did. No doubt about it. Donald Trump had classified documents in his possession, and the book's still out on it, but he did too. What happened to Donald Trump? Merrick Garland sent the FBI down there in a raid at night. Merrick Garland didn't give anybody in the Trump administration that's still on staff down there in Mar-a-Lago, you know, people like, oh, the Secret Service didn't tell anybody he was sending the FBI in there. They had helicopters flying overhead, cop cars everywhere. Has he done any of that to Joe Biden? Did he send any of that out to two of Joe Biden's Delaware residences where we found classified documents? No. As a matter of fact, he didn't even send the FBI down there to go through these houses to check them out. Listen, the attorney general told Biden's White House attorneys, oh, y'all just go keep looking for any more, and if you find any, give us a jingle and we'll talk about what to do. And we find out this morning, the Justice Department informed the House Judiciary Committee Republicans yesterday that it can't fulfill all of the requests relating to the investigation into President Biden's handling of classified documents. And they cited the department's, quote, long-standing policy about ongoing matters. Now, let me tell you what is absolutely fundamentally wrong in that statement. The Congress, the United States Congress, the United States House of Representatives, U.S. Senate, and then the executive branch of the United States, and then the judiciary branch of the United States government, all three departments, they are co-departments. Neither, none, has any authority over the other. They're called into and created to be checks and balances on each other. Congress crafts and creates laws. It's also charged constitutionally with making sure Every branch of the government is run according to the laws that are created in the legislative branch. The executive branch, exec, exec, execute. In other words, they're supposed to take the laws that Congress puts together and put them out around the nation and make sure they're happening the way they're supposed to happen. What does the judicial branch do? They determine the operations of both of the other branches of the government, making sure they're complying with what? With laws that are passed. And so Congress has the constitutional, the constitutional requirement to oversee the operations of the other two. 
including the Department of Justice. And in the response from the DOJ to the House yesterday, and that would be the Department of Judiciary Committee Chair Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio and Mike Johnson from here in Louisiana, those were the two that penned the letter asking for those documents. The DOJ said, well, we're not going to give you all those documents. And their reasoning was long-standing policy about ongoing matters. Not the constitutional requirement, but long-standing policies. Where do long-standing policies come from? Men and women make that arbitrary decision on a rolling basis, right? Long-standing policies can be implemented and, and changed at any time. Law can't. The Department of Justice answers to the state, not the state, the U.S. Congress, the legislative branch. So the DOJ told those two members of the House, Jim Jordan, Mike Johnson, it would instead, per its cited policy, maintain the confidentiality of the open investigation according to a letter written by Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Legislative Affairs, Carlos Urarte. The DOJ's letter came in response to Jordan and Johnson requesting on the 13th various specific documents, by the way, and communications from the DOJ that were related to documents with classified markings found at the Penn Biden Center and Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware, dating back to Biden's time as vice president and even when he was a senator. It's unclear when the department first came to learn about the existence of these documents and whether it actively concealed this information from the public on the eve of the 2022 elections. That's in Jordan and Johnson's letter. The DOJ's actions with Biden also appear to depart from how it acted in a similar circumstance involving Donald Trump's handling of classified documents. DOJ has assigned special counsels to both cases, though they have notable differences. And we we know what they are. We know what the differences are, but they were still regarding classified documents. So while... Urarte provided Jordan and Johnson with already public detail about the timeline of the discovery of those documents. He rejected most of the congressman's other requests. Your letter also requests non-public information that is essential to the ongoing special counsel investigation. This is in Urarte's response. The department's longstanding policy is to maintain the confidentiality of such information regarding open matters. Now, where does this end? (laughs) I got to be honest with you. I have spoken to Congressman Johnson about this very thing. And I can tell you this, it's not ending anytime soon. This Congress, this House of Representatives, the Judiciary and the Oversight Committees in joint, the guns are about to start blazing. They've already pointed to the White House's general lack of transparency with the public in anything to do with Biden's case, zeroing in 
on the time between Biden's attorneys first discovering documents marked classified on November 2nd, and they didn't send them to anybody. Do you remember? They keep saying, we've turned over, we've turned everything over. They did not. The only reason we know about this today was CBS got a tip and reported it publicly. That's the first anybody or everybody heard about it. And then we find out it was confirmed the intentions of the administration along with Merrick Garland was that we're not going to let anybody know about this. We'll just let it go away. They weren't going to tell anybody until they got caught. Jordan Johnson and some other Republicans have observed the public didn't have the knowledge that the White House and DOJ did that. But Biden had potentially had mishandled classified documents when the critical midterm elections rolled around on November 8th. Just imagine if this was when Donald Trump was in office and something like this came up. You know, a month before a crucial election. Every election today is crucial, by the way. And they thought in the Trump administration, it's probably better for the American people that while they're considering, you know, those really important things like who to vote for, we don't want them to have their minds full of this other stuff. They don't have the right to do that. Early on, Biden's attorneys and DOJ investigators both thought they had a shared understanding about keeping the matter quiet. The Washington Post, of all places, said in a report about the White House's strategy for handling the document discovery, though the report didn't specify exactly how early on the understanding was established. And it doesn't matter. They're supposed to turn this stuff over. Further complicating any transparency concerns has been the discovery made December 20th of those documents in Biden's Wilmington home, which the White House omitted when it first went public with the document case in January after the CBS story. So they got busted by CBS and they admitted, yeah, they're there. Are there any others there? No, there are no other ones there. Lie. They got busted for that. More came out. So Jordan and Johnson's transparency questions are going to remain at present unaddressed by the DOJ as the department argues that relevant disclosures would risk jeopardizing its investigation. The DOJ wrote to the pair, disclosures to Congress about active investigations risk jeopardizing those investigations and creating the appearance that Congress may be exerting improper political pressure or attempting to influence department decisions in certain cases. Now think about that. Steve Baker, as I told you, is going to be here, as he is every Tuesday in our second hour, and we're going to talk about accountability. Of course, this is one example of somebody jumping all over accountability or somebody's jumping all over it and forgetting about the little thing called the law, 
the Constitution, and this is the place that is supposed to be all over the Constitution and federal laws and make sure that everybody complies with it and that when they don't, they're held accountable. Accountability. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. We're going to talk about it in our second hour. Now, let's go back to the House of Representatives. You know, the ones that are charged with handling all of the money of the United States, making all the laws and policies regarding how we spend taxpayers' money. Representative James Clyburn, longtime member of Congress, Democrat from South Carolina, he said yesterday on MSNBC's All In, he's talking about House Republicans and what they're trying to get, you know, information, truth, facts. He said that House Republicans' upcoming investigations were a waste of time and an attempt to score political points. And, of course, the anchor, you know, they always give Democrats a free pass, Chris Hayes. Hayes said congressmen have been through a number of the this, excuse me, congressmen having been through this a number of times now, having gone from the majority to the minority, having watched Republicans launch a series of investigations when they get the gavel, what is your expectation and posture towards these various investigations that are gearing up to do? And Clyburn, wah, wah, I think they're very, very unnecessary. They are really a waste of time. I think they have proved that with Benghazi. You know, four men were slaughtered because of the actions taken in part by a very high-up general in the Biden administration and a very high-up secretary of state in the Biden administration. Those people, along with Hillary Clinton, created the policies, and the general I'm talking about called off an air transport that was in the air to go save these four Americans that got slaughtered in Benghazi, he called it off and wouldn't let them go. I'm talking about the Secretary of Defense. That was Benghazi. Of course there were investigations that went on, and that's how all this came out. Oh, by the way, one little bitty thing that came up in those investigations, this might just pluck your memory a little bit. This all began when Barack Obama and his Secretary of State cut a deal with Osir, whatever his name is, <laughs> Basar, the leader of Syria. Those evil Syrian rebels were out there, and they were going to throw him out of office. Well, that's exactly what our administration, the Obama-Biden administration, wanted to do. So Hillary and Barack cut a deal, and they provided them with weapons. What a great idea. They said, look, you overthrow, uh, overthrow Bashar. You go do it. We're not going to come in there and get into a war with Syria. Oh, my gosh. And so they gave them all kinds, all kinds of weapons, money, all kinds of support. They were just called Syrian rebels. You know who they turned out to be? ISIS. That action, Hillary Barack Obama, Joe Biden, they were all in on giving those Syrian weapons 
millions of dollars worth of weapons and other types of support, including cash. Turns out that was ISIS. Back to Mr. Clyburn. I think these investigations are very, very unnecessary. They're really a waste of time. I think they proved that with Benghazi. We know what the result of that was. Two and a half years, oh my gosh. I don't know how much money was spent, and it all went for naught. No, everything I just told you was discovered. He calls that naught. We call that here the truth. It may have been of some detriment to Hillary Clinton, but that's not what we run government for. Government is here to really address the things that are really responsible and things that really get the country moving, get people, lives in order. This is a serious member of the House of Representatives, and he actually maintains and wants you and I and every other American to believe that's what they've been doing, and everything in the nation is in order. Not to score political points, he said. If we're going to run this government to score political points, I think the result is going to be the same. We saw that time and time again when they were in power before, and I think that will be the end result this time as well. But then a lot of money will have been spent and wasted and a lot of time, but we could be devoting it to improving people's lives. We could give them... 10 trillion more dollars like you know we've already given them three in the last two years we're the people's people we're the peeps for the people we give them everything they want and the smart ones what do they do they just sit down and shut up they don't care if anything we do is unethical if it's illegal they should just sit down and shut up so should those evil republicans Our Department of Justice ain't giving them no, nothing, nothing at all that they've asked for. That's important. We'll throw them a few bones. We'll do that. But that's all they're going to get from us. I haven't talked to Congressman Jim Jordan about it, but I talked to Congressman Mike Johnson. Remember last time he was on with us, I asked him specifically. He wouldn't go into the details. But he is frosted, and these guys are gunning. Now, will they be successful? This is where we come in here. I have this ongoing distrust, not for the rule of law, not for the U.S. Constitution, but those who operate it. I have a bad taste in my mouth, as most of you do. And these, these things we just mentioned, are prime examples. The last Democrat uh, administration we have, you remember Barack Obama? You remember Eric Holder on his watch? That gun-running scheme in the south part of the United States across the border where he gave a bunch of weapons to drug cartels, and he said the purpose for doing that, nobody knew he was doing it. Nobody in Congress knew that he did it. Barack Obama did. Hillary Clinton did. They were all in on it. He gave all those guns away and then was surprised when all those guns they gave away were used to murder a bunch of people, including a couple of U.S. Border Patrol agents. Fast and Furious was the title of that quote-unquote action taken 
by Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and Eric Holder, then Attorney General. And then there was a a mild investigation into that by the Congress. And of course, who was in office? Barack Obama, who was the Attorney General, Eric Holder, who was a Vice President. Well, Joe Biden. They gave up all those documents and informations for, you know, those two Americans that were slaughtered because of that action. Not to mention the other Americans, you know, the people that live in the country, farmers, people working in restaurants, those people that were shot and killed with some of those weapons that we didn't actually catch the weapons, but they know it happened. And then they slaughtered hundreds of Mexicans with the guns that Eric Holder and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Joe Biden gave to them. You would think that the U.S. Congress would ask the Attorney General to come down and give an explanation, wouldn't you? Well, he was asked. He was asked to come down and testify twice. He was subpoenaed twice, and he never showed up. He acted like he was going to give them some information, send them some information. And he never did that, so they subpoenaed him for the documents that came from the Fast and Furious debacle. He never gave them up. Just like Benghazi, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Secretary of State now was in Hillary's camp. All of those people, they refused to answer anything substantively in the afterflow of what happened in Benghazi. And you know why they were penalized? Hillary Clinton won the nomination of the Democrat Party to run for president in 2016. Lloyd Austin, he was the general, the leader of CENTCOM. That's all the military around the Mediterranean and the Middle East, he was the one that called off that transport that they were in the air ready to go rescue those four Americans that were about to be slaughtered on the streets of Benghazi. He shut that down. He also was involved in the decision and the giving of all those weapons and guns to those Syrian rebels along with Hillary and Barack Obama and Joe Biden. And they created ISIS. That's who those Syrian rebels became because they got all of this infrastructure, all these weapons. And we don't know how much money we gave them, but we gave them millions of dollars and they just created ISIS. James Clyburn, by the way, he was part of all of that. He was in Congress then, a leader in the House of Representatives. So Biden ain't none. He's just getting cranking. I don't need to sit here and read you the litany of the insanity of what he has done and the insanity of his being able to do it, whatever it took to do it. But you and I are living in it, and folks, I don't want to scare you to death, but I'm going to tell you, you need to pay closer attention every day to the facts the things that are happening either in this government or at this government's behest. Nothing you hear or see, not a single thing, 
is inconsequential. You need to remember that line I just gave you. Nothing that's said or done is inconsequential. Back when Benghazi was about to happen, when all that action was taken, do you remember how they told Americans when it was discovered they were sending these weapons and this support to those Syrian rebels, do you remember how they told us it was going on, what was happening and why? It was all good. It was all good. They never told us who these rebels were. They never told us what deals were cut and who was involved in them. They just tell us what they want us to hear. They never tell us anything that they know we don't want to hear. Oh, we're never going to tell them with that. We don't want to bother those American people. There's nothing they can do about it. So we just want them to sit down, listen to the things we tell them. When they ask a question or two, listen to the answers we give them. But then just be quiet because after that, it's none of their business. We're going to take care of things. You think I'm hot now, you wait till Steve Baker joins us in about a half hour. Meanwhile, yesterday, our president told Congress that his administration is going to end twin emergencies related to COVID-19's pandemic on May the 11th, 2023, more than three years after they went into effect. The COVID-19 national emergency is set to expire on March one while the public health emergency, PHE, will expire on April 11th. The Office of Management and Budget wrote in a statement of administration policy, Biden's going to extend both emergencies all the way up to May 11th, at which point they're going to expire. Now, this will tell you the foresight that our president has. He got on the phone with the COVID doctor. Oh my gosh, yeah, he did. And the COVID doctor, not the doctor, the COVID king, told him, Mr. President, it's about time we COVID folks, we got off all y'all's butts. And we're going to just call off all the dogs. How does May 11, 2023 sound like a good day for the COVID-19 pandemic to no longer be rising to the level of a pandemic. We're just going to settle down so you can let the American people know on May 11th, it's okay to do everything they were doing before we took charge. And so when I heard this, and of course the COVID God, the COVID-19 God, who do you think that would be? Anthony Fauci, of course. Anthony's, he is science. That's what he told us. Those words, I am science. So obviously, who would Joe Biden talk to about anything to do with science? About anything healthcare? Talk to Anthony Fauci. Anthony said, March 11th. Nope. That's too early. Well, how about April 11th for the other one? Nope. That's too early. Well, what about May 11th? Well, Mr. President, it's you and me. You run the the nation. I run the world of science. So if we can agree, we'll make it happen that day. May 11th, we're done. 
you're going to be free from COVID-19. There won't be any more COVID-19. One of the additional, most ridiculous things that I've heard come out of this White House. Just before we went live, I got an email and it, it made me even madder than I am about this other stuff. And it's about abortion. And it's about something that has slipped out of the White House about it. Well, Dan, Roe v. Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court said there's no legality anywhere in the Constitution for there to be abortions in the nation. It's not a law. It cannot be a federal law. The Supreme Court says it. Everything was pushed back to the states for the states to decide. So it's not legal nationwide. Well, Joe Biden, once again, because of his amazing intelligence and his cognitive ability to understand and know everything way more than you or I do, He's thrown another little grenade into the middle of that. I'll tell you about it right after this. Duncan is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Duncan with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Duncan. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Oh, oh, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Unforgettable That's what you are L'air du temps perfume Like the memory of a beautiful song Lingers on and on L'air du temps perfume the classic French fragrance that you can wear anywhere, anytime, makes you unforgettable. du Temps Perfume by Nina Ricci. I know Steve Baker's listening right now. <laughs> I imagine he's had a chuckle or two to hear how I have started this show off. Well, let me tell you the little bomb that got dropped this morning. Joe and all his minions, uh, they're considering declaring a public health emergency. I thought we were in one. It's called COVID-19. Well, it's going to end on May 11th. They got to they gotta have another little donut they can throw out there. And this one's going to be about, now let me, let me just tell you, the DHS, 
No, that's Department of Homeland Security. It's the HHS, Health and Human Services. They're considering declaring a public health emergency to promote abortion access. Now, Joe didn't say this. The other brain surgeon, Javier Becerra, he's the Secretary of Health and Human Services. He threw this one out. Now, let me tell you how qualified he is. Javier Becerra, former Attorney General of California. Boy, those former AGs of California, they bring a lot to the table in the Biden administration, don't they? Uh, I can think of another one. I'm looking at a picture of the heavyweights around the table in the Oval Office, you know, right next to it, where they have the small conference table. Five of the big shots in there are sitting at the table. Anthony Blinken is one of them. Uh, Joe Biden is one of them. Xavier Becerra is one of them. And guess who's missing at the table? That would be another one of those California former attorney generals. The vice president is not sitting in the room. I thought all the heavyweights were supposed to weigh in on these serious things. I just threw that one out there. So Becerra says... His department has the authority to declare public emergency, but it's only one of many options on the table, he said. He argued there was an ongoing reproductive health crisis since Roe v. Wade was overturned. You know, the abortion god, he just got his panties in a wad. He was kicked out of Dodge, well, kicked out of D.C., and he was going to have to go negotiate in 50 different state capitals with the legislatures and governors to see if it was okay for him to go on and still kill all the babies. And then here's Becerra. He's a lawyer. He has no medical training, no medical background, but he's the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services that has everything to do with everything to do medically. The agency's not completed a full assessment on a declaration, its conditions and whether it's merited, he said. There are discussions on a wide range of measures that we can take to try to protect people's rights, he said. There are certain, and incidentally, Americans don't have a right to abortion. It's nothing about protecting people's rights It's about taking control from the people and just doing what we say we want to do with impunity and everybody that disagrees with us is evil. They better shut up or we're going to put them all to sleep. Go lay down by your bowl. (laughs) There are certain criteria that you look for to be able to declare a public health emergency, he said. That's typically done by scientists and those that are professional in those fields who will tell us whether we are in a state of emergency. And based on that, I have the ability to make a declaration. Xavier Becerra, the Secretary of Health and Human Services that has never been to medical school, has no medical degree, but he is empowered to make a decision regarding Abortion. In the months since Supreme Court overturned Wade, the Biden administration has pushed for expanded access to abortions through various measures. 
that include a July 22nd executive order which directed Becerra to take additional action to protect and expand access to abortion care, including access to medication that the FDA approved as safe and effective over 20 years ago. The administration has also reduced regulations on the distribution of abortion pills. We're constantly exploring additional actions we can take to protect and expand access to reproductive health care, including abortion care, and are prioritizing the actions that can give us the highest impact and the most durable solutions. They're going to do it, and this guy's going to roll it out. And once again, he has no experience in doing this. None whatsoever. So then the question comes up, can the Biden administration thumb their noses at what the Supreme Court said is not legal nationwide? Can they just thumb their noses at the Supreme Court? Do they have the power to not only allow it to happen in all 50 states, which is what the Supreme Court said it could do. Every one of the 50 states can legalize abortion there. That's not good enough for Joe. We have at least 20-plus states that have made it illegal. We've got to find a way to circumvent that, and I'm Joe Biden. I'm the master of executive orders. When the legal beagles in Congress won't do what I want them to do, won't make laws, pass laws that I want them to pass. Screw the people's representatives. We don't care about them. The people elected me, Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden. You guys get out there and go find a way to abort these babies. So this has been going on and on and on. It came up in May last year. I'm just going to tell you what ABC News said on June 24th about this. This is right, this is a couple of days after the Supreme Court made their decision on Roe v. Wade. White House and a liberal president, he vowed to fight to keep abortion access for every American ABC said, but what can he really do? In recent weeks, dozens of abortion advocacy groups, lawyers, providers, and lawmakers have huddled to pitch ideas that range from what advocates call creative to the seemingly far-fetched. The White House has met with many of these officials to hear them out, although it remains tight-lipped on whether its legal strategy might be headed. Could the government lease federal buildings and public lands to abortion clinics, declare a public health emergency, and offer disaster relief money or health care grants to states anticipating an influx of patients? What about federal travel vouchers for patients seeking health care in abortion-friendly states? Yeah, right, like abortions, health care. Or relaxed import rules for on abortion pills made overseas. President Joe Biden, some argue, also could say that banning abortion pills by mail, as some states are moving to do, violates rules on interstate commerce. We are all thinking creatively about what administrative solutions might exist, including increasing the availability of abortion pills 
said Kimberly Inez McGuire, executive director of Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equity, who met with the White House in one of its listening sessions. But in this specific moment, she said, what I'm looking for from this administration is leadership, and I agree with you. I really do, Kim. We don't have any leadership in this administration. Here's the way it's supposed to happen. The guy in the White House wants something to run through Congress and become a law. That's what he wants to do. This guy, he may not have this memory, but he was a senator for 50 years. That's one of the places in Congress that make laws. He probably doesn't remember that you got to do that for it to be legal. And so you present something. Your representatives take it to the floor of the Senate. If the Senate president wants it to go to the floor, or you send it to the House of Representatives, And it goes to the floor to be considered if the Speaker of the House wants it to go there. If they don't, it doesn't get considered. Now, does that mean Joe Blow? Maybe we ought to call him President Joe Blow. (laughs) Does that mean Joe Blow can just shoot him the bird and create the law just because he's President of the United States and that makes it okay? This guy thinks he can It's not called a law when he does it. It's called an executive action. He has several hundred of those in place, and so what are they used for? Novel idea. When you can't get it through Congress, when Congress, in most cases, won't even take it up now, but it's something that we're all supposed to do, it's good for everybody. I know that for a fact because I'm Joe Biden. I'm the president. I know everything. You sit down and shut up and listen to me. You evil members in the House. You're Republicans. You don't know what's right. I know what's right. I've stayed behind the curtains for years, making those grandiose sounds that come out of my head. It looks like it's somebody, but it's not. I'm the Wizard of Oz. I pull all the strings. So if I decide it needs to be done, let it be done through executive action. Let me tell you where all of this is headed, and I'll shut up and move on. All this is headed back to the Supreme Court. There is no none, nicks. There is no legality attached to the actions of an executive order that are in law, none, not one. And I'll tell you, if, if, if he does any of this, if they declare it a national medical health care emergency, which it looks like he's going to do, they're going to start spending your money and my money. They're going to find ways to circumvent what the Supreme Court said. And they know it's going to go to the court system. And they don't care about it. They'll do it quickly. They'll spend billions of taxpayer dollars. There will be, will be people lined up in the streets at abortion clinics around America. And here's the shame in it, besides the obvious. Here's the shame in it. You want an abortion now? You get an abortion. Period. I can't afford to go to another state to get an abortion. 
Make a phone call to Planned Parenthood. Free commercial. They're hooking everybody up. Abortion numbers on a national level, at least what's being reported, haven't declined. The whole thing was, it's not in law. It's not part of the Constitution. And since Roe v. Wade in 1972, they've been screaming and hollering that it is legal. It's in the Constitution. And therefore, what does that mean? The feds get involved in every part of it. Funding it. That's what it's really all about. They want to fund anything and everything that they want to happen in the healthcare industry. And so they just do it. When they need help, where do they go? Pfizer, Moderna, all the other big pharma companies, especially those involved in women's health. Oh, and they'll write the big checks. Money's no obstacle for this administration. If Congress won't pass it, give them the support to do it, they just go do it themselves. Or they wait till Christmas Eve, and then they blackmail all of these very committed lawmakers. You know, the ones that swore the oath that they were going to craft the laws of the nation and make sure all the laws were handled appropriately. And these lawmakers, they want to go home for Christmas, so they give him $3 trillion more dollars in the omnibus bill that is so full of pork we'll never know how much of it actually went to fund things that are good for the nation but i'll tell you what it did it paid the political debts of joe biden joe blow biden real truth real news tnn the truth news network Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the French fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy, the white round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Howdy. The streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. 
But act now or later because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm a little bit hacked off at things this morning. And I'm sorry, um, if you joined us late, you didn't get the disclaimer up at the top of the show. We, We had a, not us, but our streaming company up in uh, the Northwest, company that our signal goes to and they beam it to 92 different countries. And so the stream of the story that you're hearing right now, you're actually hearing it about six to nine seconds after I say it because it, it goes via satellite from Northwest Louisiana to Dallas. It skips from there to Seattle, from Seattle, it skips around the world to 92 different countries. Now, it's 25,000 miles up to the lowest communication satellite. So it takes a few seconds to bounce up and bounce back. So when you have that skip, that bounce, two or three times, it takes a little bit. But anyway, they had problems streaming yesterday. So our show went on. And the show in its entirety, you can get it at any one of the podcast sites that you use. Places like iHeart Podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcast, even Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. All of them have the show up in its entirety. And it's a pretty darn good show. If you missed it, I'd love for you to go check it out. And I'm sorry, that has never happened before. In uh, five years of doing, I guess it's five years we've been doing it, four or five years. Never happened before, so I apologize for it. And they assure me it'll never happen again. So all I am, folks, when it comes to putting it up, paying them, they do a great job normally. And uh, I'm working with them now. 22nd of February, we're headed over to Israel we're going to do the show live that day. Our show will be done live in studio. We get on the plane and fly to Israel, and we don't get there until Israel time, 5 p.m. the next afternoon in Israel. So you won't miss a show. We're going to do a pre-recorded show for that day. Now, it'll be good. In fact, I'm a con baker and helping me do a special show off-air live that We'll, uh, we'll publish it that day. But the rest of the next 10 days, weekdays, we're going to be in Israel doing live broadcast. And it'll be 9 to 11 a.m. time here is 5 to 7 p.m. time there. They're eight hours ahead of us right now. So you're going to be hearing it the normal time that you hear it unless we have to move it an hour or two, and then we'll let you know about that in plenty of time. But it's going to be, our plans are to be 9 to 11 a.m. live from Israel every day. I'll be eating dinner over there when you talk to me on the show. 
Now let's see if Steve-O's got his phone on. Let me give him a call here. Good morning, sir. Good morning. There you go. Get that deep voice. Get that microphone turned up. <laughs> I've got it right here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How are you, buddy? I'm, drink- I'm, I'm good. I'm drinking my coffee from my uh, my lovely TNN uh, travel mug that you gifted me. Oh, uh, I forgot about that. Last week. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. That's where I'm doing that. And, uh, and we're enjoying much better weather here than you guys are down there right now. It's about uh, 20 or 30 degrees warmer here. Ours is so I was already is, out on the porch this morning. Ours is not really bad. It looks like west of us over in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They're the ones who are getting yeah. it really bad. We're going to have, I mean, you've been in Louisiana long enough. you lived here for years. When they say it's going to snow, we all look at them and laugh. Uh, and their definition <laughs> of snow is if there's one little flake that falls from the rain <laughs> because it always comes with rain first, then we get ice, and if we get snow, it's on top of that. So we can't see that the streets are iced up. So we have driving wrecks all the time. Yeah, exactly. Have you been listening? And, of course, uh, the stores empty out of bread and uh, milk and water. It's a general panic situation, yes. And beer. Yeah, I just had to throw that in. We're in the South. Uh, have you been listening to the show the first hour today? I I have. You're a little riled up. I don't know if I need to calm you down before we get started here or not. But uh, I just want to make it worse, actually. Actually, what I want you to do is just to, all you got to do, you've been listening, just say amen because you agree with everything I said. <laughs> I have. I actually have agreed with everything. And I don't think that we can start this conversation about accountability without quoting the great Thomas Sowell. So let me just do that to begin with. This is what he said. He said, it is hard to imagine a more stupid or more dangerous way of making decisions than by putting those decisions in the hands of people who pay no price for being wrong. <laughs> Who said that? Is that brilliant? Thomas Sowell. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is a great orator. And oh, by the way, if you don't know it, he's African American, our audience out there. Yeah. And he is uh, on- a, a brilliant. Yeah, brilliant writer, economist, yes. Um, yes. Uh, you know, libertarian, conservative thinker. Um, you know, he's he's written several books, and uh, he's 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 retired. He's, he does pop up with a quote here and there uh, still uh, on one of his social media accounts. Although certainly he's not managing those any longer. But uh, I think he's in his early nineties now. I think Stanford, but, uh, Stanford, the uh, the Hoover Institute. I believe they're managing his stuff. Hmm. But he is one for every one of our readers, our listeners to check out. Um, I'm glad he's still with us, but uh, his his work will live on long after he's gone. Well, I uh, I, I conspired with you earlier today on our segment being about accountability, and you and I both know. And in fact, if if I just opened it up and let you start just throwing out the examples of no accountability, you could do an entire day, not just an hour with examples of it. But I, when I, before I called you or before I sent you that note, 
I had been for hours uh, thinking through my life and the instances of every level, on every level of my life, where somebody or some people have actually had unfettered permission to do anything they wanted to do in a number of circumstances and how they went ahead and did just that with no accountability. And then I started thinking about who pays the price for all of that. You go back in history, every one of us can recount things like that. I mean, I had teachers that were like God in school. They were subject, basically, supposed to be subject to the principals in school over them, but they got away with murder with no accountability. Yeah. And, and then our neighborhood friends. You know, my mama beat me like a dog if I was told to be home at <laughs> 5 o'clock and I didn't show up. When I showed up, I knew I was about to get it. Uh, right. And my neighborhood friends, I had a bunch of them. Their kid, they they could they could stay out to nine o'clock at night with no accountability. So those examples are immeasurable. But before we start talking about specific examples, give me your thirty thousand foot thoughts on accountability. I think that I can uh, actually re-reference or go back to something that we may have mentioned or I may have talked about several weeks ago. I gave an example of how in all of these pieces of federal legislation, these massive 800 to 4,000 page bills, there's a recurring and ongoing, what I would refer to as a, a poison pill or a time bomb or maybe better described as a Trojan horse. And that is this phrase in these bills. And the phrase that comes up is usually worded in one or two ways. It usually says, as the secretary may deem, or as the secretary deems. And this poison pill or Trojan horse is a clause in these bills, even though these bills are written by, ostensibly, they're written by uh, Congress. Ostensibly, they are approved and debated in committee before they go out. And of course, we, you and I both know that that doesn't happen and hasn't been happening for years, that they've been forced down the throats of legislators uh, to vote on with 24-hour, 48-hour notice, if that at all, and uh, without any possibility of reading 2,000 to 4,000 pages. But inside those bills is that phrase, as the secretary may deem. And this is, and make no doubt about this, this is a progressive abrogation of constitutional responsibility and uh, and this is for the purpose of fast-tracking the dismantling of all of our constitutional protections our rights the bill of rights itself and the reason that they do that dan is because the the article 5 amendment process is just too hard it takes too long and it's too restrictive as the founders intended to allow the progressive agenda to flow at the pace that they want it to flow at. So they drop this Trojan horse in these bills. And this is why we see so many things taking place at all the three letter agencies, because as the secretary may deem, this is referring to the secretaries on the president's cabinet. And it's an abrogation of legislative responsibilities to 
the executive uh, branch, and that's why they're getting by with so many things, just like we saw yesterday, uh, this new ATF ban on gun stock braces. Well, you you personally, or your listeners, most of them may not have a gun that has a gun stock brace on whatever weapon that they constitutionally and legally have in their uh, gun safe or under their bed or wherever they keep their weapons. The point is, is that this is a gigantic overstep by the ATF, but it is allowed to them, as I mentioned before, because of these Trojan horses in previous legislation to get by with it. But the bottom line is, is that with the finalization of this rule, the Biden administration is now turning into by executive fiat somewhere between 10 and 40 million Americans are going to be felons in 120 days if they don't get the stamp and apply for it or register that brace. And of course, the original reason for this brace was for um, handicapped individuals. I'll just tell you right now that one of my best friends in the world is a uh, veteran. He is um, uh, disabled. He stepped on a landmine in the Sinai Desert and uh, doing a pe- on a peacekeeping mission. And it took his uh, left arm off. He almost lost his left leg, but the, uh, the uh, Israeli doctors uh, back in the early 80s managed to save his, his, uh, his leg. And uh, he's 100% deaf. And but with this left arm gone, in order for him to wield effectively the weapon that he carries, he has a gunstock brace, and legally so. And it's always been legal. I mean, we're, we're just talking about a, a piece of plastic or a piece of wood or a piece of metal that attaches to a certain type of firearm. And suddenly, by executive fiat, with no accountability to the legislative branch, this is, this is, this is regulation without representation is exactly what's happening right now. We've heard the phrase taxation without representation. This is legislation without representation. Uh, they have created mil- tens of millions, Dan, of felons in the next 120 days. And do you think that the federal government is even capable of processing the applications of 40 million lawful, legal, law-abiding, never use their guns in any crimes whatsoever, never intend to, law-abiding citizens? Do you think that they can process 40 million applications and issue 40 million stamps in 120 days? Let me be a uh, conspiracy theorist here. With this administration, with Joe Biden as president and his history, he has been anti-gun. He's been a proponent of uh, the abridgment, the infringement of the Second Amendment since he's been in Congress. Before I say what I'm going to say, let me just read the first paragraph of the uh, new rule that was put out yesterday. Today, the Department of Justice announced it is submitted to the Federal Register the stabilizing braces final rule, which makes clear that when manufacturers, dealers, and individuals use stabilizing braces to convert pistols into rifles with a barrel of less than 16 inches, commonly referred to as a short barrel rifle, they must comply with the laws that regulate those rifles, including the National Firearms Act, 
In April 2021, at an event with President Biden, the Attorney General directed the BATF and explosives to address the issue of stabilizing braces. And so that's the paragraph that announced that they have sent this to the Federal Register. Now, on this particular thing that they did, it's going to go away, but it will not go away without a bunch of hard work, hard feelings, and unnecessary actions being taken. It will not stand and the millions, test. Millions, millions, millions of dollars in legal fees. Oh, yeah. To get this yeah. It will not pass muster in the United States Supreme Court in this court. It is an abridgment of the Second Amendment. It's already been proven on a number of other things. And as, as an example, the bump stock thing. I mean, I've got an AR-15. Yeah. I have other automatic weapons. I don't have this stabilizing thing. And the reason I didn't get one was I don't shoot at targets when I go to the with go to the range. I don't shoot at targets with the guns that I would have one of these on. If I did, I would have had one. I had a bump stock. I never used it. I never put it on one of my guns. I bought it because I walked into a gun store when it first came out that how these things would possibly turn a regular automatic, like a shotgun or a rifle, uh, a regular semi-automatic into a fully automatic. Right. Yeah. And I thought if I ever got in a situation where, you know, some gang or somebody's coming at my house and we're going to shoot at my house and I needed to protect myself, having that as an option would give me a better chance to shoot a bunch of bullets in their direction and a better chance of keeping them from shooting bullets in my direction. But I never used it. It went away the same way I'm pretty sure this one will go away. Uh, that one, incidentally, was put out by the Trump Attorney General, That's which correct. blew my mind. Uh, and it and was make no mistake about it. Yeah, make no mistake about it, Dan. This is a trial balloon because when we say that we know that this is going to go away and we know that the Supreme Court is going to deal with this effectively and, and justly and per the Constitution as they did with the bump stock. We're hoping that's the case because we never know what these guys, we don't ever know. But we also know that the Biden administration has put this thing out as a trial balloon because their stated purpose is to ultimately remove from all of us our ability to own, carry uh, a semi-automatic, semi-automatic weapon. And, and essentially, that's, you know, that's 90 plus percent of everything that's sold now. And has been for years and for decades. I mean, I remember, you know, my my father being a private investigator. He he carried a revolver forty years ago. You know, three fifty seven Magnum, uh, and uh, and that was that was generally forty years ago what was carried by law enforcement and other individuals as well. But the semi-automatic weapons became more effective, more popular. Uh, the the manufacturers were switching to that as the technology improved and of course the market was demanding that and that's what everybody has now if they can do this by executive fiat and by some three-letter agency controlled by one of those secretaries who may deem that this is okay to regulate without um, uh, legislation or 
outside of the, the, the boundaries of the Second Amendment, then we know that it, because they're progressives, it's in their name, progressivism, they're going to then take the next step and they're going to make the next round of um, American law-abiding American citizens felons if we don't comply to either turning in these weapons, registering them in some form, um, uh, applying for some special permission. We have permission already. Our permission is, in fact, the Second Amendment. Uh, but that's not what they want. And we all know why they want us to register, because if they can find out everything that's in our gun safe and they know what we have and where those 400 million weapons are that are privately owned, then when the time comes, as the secretary may deem, they can come and start collecting them. I believe your number is a little small on the number <laughs> of guns that are out there. But nevertheless, you are correct where I was going with this and you went right to it. The heart of the matter is, this is not just about a stinking bump stock or a uh, brace for a handgun to turn it into a rifle. It's not about either one of those things. It's about what they have accused every Republican president that I can remember, especially starting back with Ronald Reagan uh, and the Bushes. They think that they need to have totalitarian authority over us in every area. And then when there's a conservative in the White House, they blame that conservative of being an authoritarian or a totalitarian wannabe, a king wannabe. And in truth, that's exactly where this thought process that has permeate, permeated Congress and everybody on the left that's left thinking, they think they should be in that position because nobody that doesn't think like they do is capable of creating any policies, rules, regulations, or laws that are necessary to serve the causes that they're propagating from the White House and from part of Congress, from the Capitol. That's where this is all headed to happen. And it's best illustrated today. Javier Becerra, who is the Secretary of Health and Human Services, no medical training, none whatsoever, is a lawyer. The only qualification he had to be able to serve at a national level. He was in Congress in the House for one term, but he left and he went back and became the Attorney General of California. And yet here's a guy that's going to tell us all the things we need to do and things we shouldn't do regarding our health care. It just makes absolutely no sense. It's all about politics. It's about garnering power, taking control, and meeting that power that they take control of out to the people that they think should be, I guess, knighted <laughs> to have the authority to do those things and to use those things. This is nothing like a democracy, yet when any conservative says anything they disagree with, they say, they challenge, they accuse that conservative of trying to destroy our democracy. By the way, we don't live in a democracy. Exactly. We live in no. a represented republic where the people make the rules. Government of, and government very, by, yeah. and government for the people. And it's very easy to use their words against them. Okay, they want to call it a democracy. Fine, let's call it a democracy. You've made the point already. If they, in fact, want to save their democracy, then they have to 
stop these executive orders because those are not democratic. Those are, in fact, authoritarian. We saw it all the way back. Um, we don't have to go back far, for examples. Uh, just uh, since the advent of you know, COVID-19, when the CARES Act was passed in April of 2020, this was back, you got to go back all the way back, you know, three whole years now, less than three years, to when we got into the two weeks to, uh, you know, flatten the curve. And then that two weeks became two months. And so then there was the CARES Act, Act passed, which basically prevented people, our landlords, from evicting those who couldn't make their rent payments. Okay. Um, uh, 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 this was passed by the legislature, so Americans were okay with that. But then as the months wore on, and, and indeed the years wore on, then the CDC themselves, the Center for Disease Control, started issuing their own eviction uh, moratorium orders. And this is, this is, again, this goes back to the CDC is under the Department of Health. It's under that secretary. So as the secretary deemed, the CDC was then therefore able to tell private landlords. We're not talking about these big multinational uh, landlords like BlackRock. We're talking about the, the people who have a couple of rental properties and that's their income or that's how they're building their retirement or that's how they're paying their own mortgage on their own home. Or maybe they themselves, this is their own retirement income and the couple of properties that they've acquired during their lifetime that they rent out or they use for Airbnbs or whatever the case may be. It is their source of income. But suddenly now these people could squat on this property for months and indeed year, up to a year or more without any responsibility on the person living in that property because the, the center for disease control thought that they had the right as a health organization to tell landlords that they could not a either uh, execute uh, collection efforts or b evict non-paying uh, residents out of these properties. Well, finally, it took um, it was like I think it was late 2021 that the U.S. Supreme Court finally issued an order vacating the Center for Disease Control um, eviction moratorium, and then. Uh, and in this particular order, they actually even warned uh, the CDC not to uh, do that again because they were, as they said in their language of the, of the bill or their ruling, that it was a clear and specific congressional uh, authorization that required that and that they didn't have the right to extend it at all. That had to come from the legislature. We, uh, we posted we posted, with it for a long time. We posted a story here during that where one of those landlords, um, he was prevented not only from doing the things that you said, eviction or collection procedures, the court told him, and it was it was in a major city. It wasn't New York City, but it was one of the big cities. The court told him uh, that he got sued by the tenant because he wouldn't keep the uh, utility zone. Well, he wasn't in res- he wasn't responsible ever. He wasn't in the loop for utilities, but they came to turn off this tenant's utilities, electricity, or whatever, and this guy put the landlord in the line of fire between him and the court, and the court made the landlord keep the electricity on. (laughs) He had to pay the electricity because he owned the property. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? 
Yeah, it is. Not only is not being not being paid for the property that he owns, but now being forced to come out of pocket additionally for the person who would not either leave or pay the bill. And after that, to make matters worse, the landlord drives up to the property one day, and this guy has bought a brand new, like eighty thousand dollar pickup truck with a boat behind it that he's parking in the parking lot at this rental property. And that was happening, Dan, all over the country. And there was millions of incidences of this taking place because humans are humans and they're going to take advantage of these situations. And those um, uh, PPE checks, uh, they're, they're, while they were sitting at home in those apartments or in those rental properties, they were not having to pay. They're still getting money and yet... And then, of course, also getting their six hundred or twelve hundred dollar checks from the government periodically, in addition to uh, the the uh, payroll protection program that they were receiving uh, income from, not going to work and going out. And they were, and this was this was true. They were buying luxury items or, or the types of things that we don't need. And as you mentioned, a, a, a high end pickup truck, boats, um, stereo equipment. I mean, we we, we saw just just. Thousands of examples in the, the alternate alternate press about those types of things taking place because people are going to abuse the system uh, when that happens. But this is all the result of, as we've talked about before, people without accountability, people without authorization outside of the law, outside of constitutional provisions, outside of legislative uh, overview, taking advantage of these Trojan horses that are being dropped into these bills and and. Dan, that's the only reason they get by with it. And and then, of course, then we get to the courts and we go, okay, well, how can those judges do that? How do we get rid of judges that make those types of rulings that not only disallow or prevent a homeowner or a landlord from collecting money or evicting and getting somebody else who, and who can pay, but then also being forced by a court to pay their other bills, their utility bills as well? I mean, every state's different, but at the federal level, you know, these federal judges can only be removed uh, through the impeachment process. The same thing that we saw Trump go through a couple of times and Clinton back in the late 90s. It's a very difficult, very arduous process. Uh, Nobody wants to go through it. And these federal judges, they can be removed uh, in the same manner. It's by impeachment by the House of Representatives and then ultimately the conviction, quote unquote, in the Senate. And these judges and justices, because they serve uh, no fixed term, they have lifelong appointments, uh, they serve until their death or until they retire, or they're they're convicted by the Senate. And and this is by design in the Constitution because this does insulate, it's supposed to, let me me rephrase this, it's supposed to insulate them from the temporary whims and passions and the winds of change of the public. Um, and it allows them to apply the law with, um, you know, only allegedly justice in mind and, and not have to be worried about themselves having to run for office or, or, or any other political concerns. But what it ultimately has done, and I will go on record as saying this, I, my, you know, my, my life, not lifelong, but my long-term um, uh, title in my online media presence has been the pragmatic constitutionalist. I am a constitutional uh, uh, libertarian. I I believe that it is the best document of governance that has ever been created on this planet by man. 
but it is not perfect. And this is an area that I would like to see change in that. I don't believe that these guys, because they have proven themselves to be uh, as political appointees in the federal level, they have proven themselves to serve at the whim of whatever doctrine or whatever political um, pressures are coming from their appointed president uh, that, that these lifetime appointments need to change and that they need term limits as well. The big, the big thing that drove me to say we need to talk about accountability at every level was what's happening at our southern border and its reactions from the southern border stuff that's happening around the nation and who is paying the price for all of that. Of course, we know nobody can come into the United States. When you step foot on American soil and you don't hold in your hand an invitation of authorization to come in if you're not a citizen and you don't have paperwork, you're breaking a law. It's not a felony, but you're still breaking a federal law. It comes Mm -hmm. with a penalty that is enshrined in federal immigration law. Now, each of those people are supposed to be held accountable by the executive branch in the United States Constitution as it is enshrined. And therefore, the Department of Justice is there to enforce all the duly passed federal laws. We have a president in this United States that basically said, I'm going to forget about federal immigration law. And he passed it downstream to Alejandro Mayorkas, his secretary of one of those departments you were talking about. He's Mm -hmm. secretary of Homeland Security. Okay, not only does Alejandro Mayorkas circumvent the federal immigration laws, he starts making up things that he's going to do on his own. He's the one that authored this whole process, this theft process of these NGOs, non-governmental operations, organizations. And we hear about them, and it's like Catholic Charities and others like that, but they manufactured dozens of other ones. And these were being told from the very beginning, these are very kind-hearted people. When these illegals come across the southern border, we're processing them according to federal law. We're checking them out. We're giving a, a, a test of who they really are. We're doing some background investigations, yada, yada, yada. And then these NGOs are taking over and they're transporting them. They're housing them. They're feeding them. They're clothing them. They're taking care of this. And look, they're even getting $1,600 in cash on a bank card and a cell phone for every adult. But it's coming at the hands of the NGOs. What they didn't tell the American people And I got to be honest with you, we were one of the first that dug out and found out where the money's coming from. Those NGOs, some of them are really charities. They are really historically doing these kinds of things for all kinds of uh, people that are in desperate straits. I mean, floods, um, fires, bad things that happen to people. They lose their jobs. They lose their homes, all that kind of stuff. Many of them have been taking care of these people for years, but the federal government is sending, uh, grants through grant money 
sending that money to these NGOs that they are using to pay all of this from. And of course, Mm -hmm. on top of the cost, on top of what they're spending, there's a whole lot of money left over that these NGOs are doing with whatever they want to. Follow the money. Well, the first thing it makes me want to do, Dan, is it makes me want to go to Mexico for a couple months, get a really good tan, and then come across the border illegally so that I can uh, tap into all of this myself. Why why worry about uh, making a living when I can draw that kind of income, get free health care, uh, and uh, enjoy enjoy the largesse of the federal tax or the, the American people, the tax pay, uh, taxpayer. Um, and and uh, not have to um, not have to worry about anything. I mean, why not? I'm six, you know I'm 63 years old. Why work? There's at least two million people in the Biden administration that can say they've done exactly what you just said you would like to do. Maybe not in that measure, but in some measure, they've done that exact same thing. Look at what's happening in New York. Let's just take that one. New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Remember when they started coming up there, the way they came up there was the governor of Texas said, you other states, you other governors and mayors, we're going to show you what we've been going through for these years in this administration, and nobody's lifted a finger to help us, so they started busing them up there. New York City Mayor Adams, he immediately started lambasting his counterpart, the governor of Texas. This is not right. You can't do this. And then he was told by somebody, you basically just better shut up and do something and hope that you get some financial help. And so he first built this thing out in Brooklyn. I mean, it's a phenomenal facility that would house hundreds of illegals. They even had popcorn (laughs) machines. They had games, video game consoles. They were getting three meals a day. They had shower facilities, nothing like they had been getting in any other place. And today, just today, there's a story out that Eric Adams, he abandoned that facility because the migrants wouldn't go there. They would rather live on the streets of Manhattan, on the streets begging, stealing, than to go somewhere that they did not like. They wanted to be in the flow of the action. And so and if you're ne- going to declare your city, if you're going to declare your town, your city, uh, a sanctuary city or a sanctuary state, uh, then that's exactly what uh, the governors of Texas and Florida and other border states ought to, be, ought to be doing. They ought to be shipping them to the sanctuary zones. If that's what you want, that's what you've declared. If that's what you have virtue signaled, then then you bear the, the responsibility, the cost, and the ramifications of that, because that's exactly what Texas has been having to deal with, not by the hundreds. They, you know, they didn't build a facility for a few hundred people with a popcorn machine. They've had been having to deal with tens of thousands per week or per yeah. month yeah. coming across that border and handling the crisis that results from that flow of humanity coming across. And, and um, that's exactly what needs to happen. But again, it goes right back to what you were saying, whether we're talking about Mayorkas, whether we're talking about uh, uh, any of the other three-letter agencies, it's, it's another example. And they get by with it, Dan, because of that, as a, the secretary may deem Trojan horse in all of this legislation, because they write the laws. And it, they'll take, as I said before, they'll take 2,000, 4,000 pages worth of legalese and legislative language 
And so they create a lot of this uh, um, uh, regulation and, and uh, oversight, administration, and funding, um, tax increases, and all of this are in these pieces of legislation. But just in case they didn't cover everything, or in case that there was something that they knew they would not be able to slip by even that particular Congress or slip by the American people because you and I would scream bloody murder, that then they put the poison pill in there as the secretary may deem. And then they can come back whenever they feel like or whenever they deem that it's okay now and they can get it under the radar and they can start uh, allowing and start issuing these non-democratic, non-legislative authoritarian actions that do not represent the, the law as it was written at all. And so one of the things that I would love to see if, if and of course I, I, don't, I don't trust the GOP with much, but one of the things I would love to see if in fact uh, they ever regain both houses of Congress and the White House is that with that power in hand that they go back in and they issue some sort of um, legislation, write some sort of legislation that strips that one phrase out of every law on the books because that is um, that that is um, essentially regulation legislation by fiat by authoritarian fiat uh, from whoever the appointed bureaucrat uh, de jure is sitting either on the president's cabinet or are buried in some in, uh, some uh, office at the EPA or the CDC or the ATF or wherever the case may be and they get by with it because they know they can. There is, not held accountable. there is no way this will ever stop. We haven't seen even a blip on the radar screen of where it's going until accountability is instilled again. Now, there are three co-equal branches in government. The oversight branch of the government is the House of Representatives and secondly, the U.S. Senate. The House now, under GOP control, they've already initiated through uh, demands about to be subpoenas to these agencies that we're talking about, Homeland Security, HHS, other departments, calling those people in to hold them accountable. But nobody's been held accountable for the last year plus, and so they've got a green light, a blank check. Just go, go spend the money. Write the check. We'll make sure that when it's deposited, it'll clear the government. That's where the accountability must come in. Look at what has happened across our nation. Every town, every city, every state. Because Joe Biden sent the message for a year when he was running for president, if I'm elected... I'm going to reopen the southern border. It was on. It was on. As the president of the United States, because of precedent, he was for eight years the the guy behind, right behind Barack Obama, who was the master of executive orders, which, by the way, are not law. They do not carry the weight of law when it comes against a law. The duly passed law through Congress, signed by a a president, it oversteps any kind of executive order. But that process that has been put in place makes it so arduous 
And it takes so long that with any of these people get up in there in D.C. and get some power, they know that. And Joe Biden himself said it publicly. I forget what it was that he put out there in executive order, and they were taking action on it. He was asked in a press, either a gaggle out on the White House lawn or maybe getting on uh, Air Force One, he was asked about don't you know this particular action you're doing is going to be tested and it will never stand in court? And he kind of snickered and said, yeah, I know that, but it's going to take him a long time, so I told my people to just go ahead and do it. It's almost like if you get it started, it can't be stopped. Now, let me point to something on the West. Let me point to something on the West Coast that's going on right now. There's this reparations thing that has taken foot in California. And they are already, they have determined they are going to pay African-American residents in the United States, citizens, they are going to pay them reparations for what the evil white man did to their ancestors. They've created an entity that is handling the planning and will hand the rollout of the money, all of the determination of who gets it, who doesn't get it. I mean, does it does it matter if if you're a cousin or if you're a great-great-grandchild or maybe you moved to the United States and you weren't a native? Are you still going to get reparate? All those kinds of things are being worked out now, but they're talking about dollars and cents. I've heard some horrible numbers. The last one I heard by this group, actually, is $400,000. Now, I've, I've I've read a story that had some exact numbers in it and what it means. But here's the deal. California, Gavin Newsom, the governor, he understands they'll never be able to pay for it. But what they're going to do and why they're going to do it and why he's green lighting it is because he wants to be the next president. That's correct. And so what does he have to do to get it? He's got to buy votes. He wants to get this implemented before the 2024 election. In California, he'll be able to stand atop of the heap and say, look what we did for the African-Americans here and their parents, their grandparents, the great-grandparents. None of them were alive. None of them were slaves. But their great-great-great-great-grandparents may have been. And because of that, just because of that, we're paying them all these money. Well, they'll pay out some, but they'll never be able to pay it going forward. And so who will have to pay it? The federal and government. Has anybody, done the, has anybody done the math on this whole reparations thing? I mean, let's just start as an example with uh, former President Barack Hussein Obama. His mom was a white Seattleite from you know Washington State. And his father, obviously, was a black man from uh, an African nation. And they met, the two of them met at uh, a communist party gathering in Washington, Washington State. And that's where they met. But in Barack Obama's case, is he going to receive reparations? Because, first of all, his father even though he was an African, not an African-American, he was an African, he was never held by uh, American slave owners. 
and obviously his mother was white. So does that disallow, even despite Barack Obama's skin color, him from receiving reparations? And extrapolate that to the millions of other African Americans in this uh, country, most of whom have mixed race now. Most of us who are white have mixed race, myself as well. I don't know what my percentage exactly is of, of um, uh, black blood, but I, I, it is in my family's history, and as well as um, Native American. And are we going to start doing rep- reparations for that? Because if we start talking about Native American uh, reparations, well, then I, I, I'm going to get in line because I've got a, a heap and helping of uh, Choctaw and Seminole, and uh, maybe we think a little bit of Apache as well. So I'm going to get in line for that if that if, if that starts getting doled out, and, and then are we going to start? Are we going to force Americans through their taxes to pay who were descendants of black slave owners? You know that Louisiana had the highest percentage of freed blacks who owned slaves in the nation. It's like 35 percent of freed blacks in Louisiana actually held black slaves themselves. The point of where I was headed and the point that this conversation needs to go to, we're both right there. No state will be, California won't be able to pay for it. They'll get it started. But once it's started, they'll find more and more and more and more recipients won't have the money. They're going to turn to the federal government. The federal government then will be forced because of the sheer magnitude of the people, the numbers that are involved in it, they're going to start paying it, which means who's going to pay it? The taxpayers. The taxpayers. That's the whole thing. It's a political ploy, and it's being used by white guys to find a way to seize more power and to get more of these legislative pieces of action in place so that they can beat their chest and say, look what a good leader I am. I'm I'm just taking care of the most egregious segment of our society and we're paying them for what their ancestors had to go through. No, what they're doing is they're making the American middle class by this time being the real only class in America that are working, they're making us pay for their political ploy, and that is all it is. It cannot be considered anything else but a chit in their political quiver to give them ammunition to shame people into voting for them so that they can perpetuate this I'm better than you thing. I think more about people than you do. That's where we're headed. And that's exact. I mean, that's exactly what it, you, you nailed it a while ago with Gavin Newsom in particular, because he is the um, the heir apparent in the Democratic Party for uh, the the twenty twenty four election. Yes, uh, they're not going to allow Biden to run again. Uh, they are positioning uh, Newsom to be at the top of the ticket. Uh, I think he'll probably breeze through their primaries, uh, assuming again that Biden is not going to um, choose to run for reelection. I think they're they're forcing him out right now through this this uh, classified document scandal, and and when that happens and he rises to the top, you're you're you, you completely nailed it, Dan. This is an ultimate. It's not it's not just a virtue signal from Gavin Newsom saying, "Look what I'm doing for the um, 
uh, black community and the horrors of, of slavery 100 plus years ago, what he's doing is is he's buying votes. And because they, they've seen the success of uh, Donald Trump in terms of peeling off black voters from the Democratic uh, uh, Party. And, and of course, it's becoming more widespread in, in states. Uh, it's, it's happening with uh, the Hispanic vote as well. As we talked about before, when you have a governor of Florida that not only wins the state by 19%, but he, he wins Miami by 11%. Miami, uh, a major city that, that goes Republican in any vote is, is, is unprecedented almost in, our, in, in modern history. And so when this is happening, they're clearly in a panic. And so this is a vote buying scheme by forcing this reparations thing uh, through at the local level there in San Francisco first, going statewide with it, uh, of course, later. And then by 2024, going to the American people and saying is that if you vote for me in the 2024 general election, this is what you're going to get, what we have established in San Francisco. We're going to make this nationwide. And, and I, you know, I don't care who you are politically, but if you think that you're going to get, you know, $5 million in your bank account and your wife is going to get $5 million in her bank account and your two children are going to get $5 million in their accounts when they turn 18 years old, it's going to be pretty tough for them to not vote <laughs> for Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Wow. Well, hey, we could go on and on this daisy chain, and I want to do it again in some other show. But we got a couple of other things we need to get to. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in two minutes. Steve Baker with us today. Uh, he's the ultimate authority from the conservative perspective on everything. He's the opposite of Anthony Fauci when it comes to science, right? I'll take that second half. All right. I am definitely the opposite of Anthony Fauci <laughs> right. on science. We'll be back right after this. No, oh, this is a lead up. It's got a bump lead up. You want to sing it, Steve? Da, 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 da. I'll, I'll sing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Steve Baker back with us. What I want to do is round it up and talk some more about accountability on different levels. We'll do that next. Your source of truth in a chaotic world, 24-7, online, on your devices. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here we go, from the top. And action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. So... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... <laughs> <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. <clears throat> For over 70... <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. 
Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. I guess I gave Steve Baker a new title that last break. What do you what do you want it to be? Fauci is I am science. He's science. What do you want to be? I'll I'll let you be anybody you want to be. <laughs> I am not Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe he said that, but that's a story for another yeah. day. Let let let's we're on accountability. Uh, you've got some things you're going to talk about that are coming up that are really exciting. Before we go there, let's go back to what we are facing right now today at a global level. We have a guy in the White House that gives no thought whatsoever to the rule of law, doesn't care about the rule of law. All he cares about is anything and everything he thinks is politically expedient for him and those around him. What do you think? Dan, Dan, you you had me at he gives no thought whatsoever. (laughs) I was being nicer than you were. (laughs) I was at least making him to be a villain. You're making him being as a cognitive uh, uh, disabled villain. You know, um, he was a villain. He he was a villain, and that's why he was tapped in his cognitive decline to uh, lead the country because they knew that he wouldn't be leading, that he could be controlled. And, don't, and, and again, make no mistake about this, and this is not conspiracy theory. This guy's not running the country. No. No, he has not. overseers. He has his puppet master, whoever that puppet master is. I don't think the puppet master is a person. I believe that it is a cartel of individuals. Uh, we can look to the WEF if we want to. We can look at Davos. We can look at uh, BlackRock. Uh, we can look at the banking system. We can look at a, a, any number of, of, uh, of, of players in this cartel. But it is, I think, right now, we have finally entered that time where we're looking at that global banking uh, monetary oligarchy that is, in fact, pulling the strings. And we could spend a lot of time pontificating on who those people are, and I think both of them, yeah. both of us, would be right on whoever and whatever names that we mention. Keeping that in mind, do you see any fix of this downward road that we seem to be going faster and faster on? Is there any way there, to turn it around? There is nothing I can do except quote Thomas Jefferson, and he said, "Whenever the people are well informed." They can be trusted with their own own government. And whatever things get so far wrong as to attract their notice, they may be relied on to set them to rights. And the key there was his first uh, you know, six words, where whenever the people are well informed. And that's why you and I are doing what we're doing, Dan. Uh, you know, people ask all the time, why are you wasting your time? There's, there's already a thousand voices out there saying, uh, what you're saying or something similar to what you're saying. Yeah, but even those thousand voices are not getting to everybody, and we have to sound this message. Uh, we have to shout it from the rooftops. We have to make sure that as many of the American citizens are as well-informed as they can possibly be because, as Jefferson said, then they can be trusted with their own government. And right now, 
Um, I don't trust the American people with their government. No, that's, I don't. That's the, that's the fix. That's the fix. We have to get out there and we have to inform what's going on. And we see pockets of success. You and I talked about it last week. Uh, it's at the local level. Yeah. Uh, we see people We see people going out to these, uh, quote, unquote, family-friendly uh, drag shows. They're disrupting them. They're yeah. filming them. They're putting this stuff on the Internet. And they're getting the message out there. And consequently, as a result of that, liberal-oriented Democratic voting parents are going, yeah, I'm, I'm not for that either. Yeah. And we it, even I think it's something like polling right now. 80% of the LGBTQ community are opposed to the sexualization of children through these quote-unquote family-friendly drag shows. But that's coming because at the grassroots level, we're attacking now. We're using our cell phones, and we're getting the, the imagery, and we're putting it out there, and we're making even people that are you know, wishy-washy on the left, and they're more forgiving to these types of things, um, they're, they're, they're with they're drawing back in horror now and seeing some of this going, man, uh, maybe, maybe this is not where I need to be voting. 90 seconds left. You got a big thing coming up. Tell us about it. Yeah, Dan, I'm really excited. I, um, the FBI whistleblower that came out a few uh, weeks ago, his name is Steve friend, uh, out of Jacksonville, Florida. And he's the guy that was uh, booted out of uh, the force suspended because he refused to, uh, take orders to swat up, as they said, to put on his SWAT gear and go raid homes on misdemeanor charges related to January 6th offenses, you know, arresting yeah. the grandma yeah. that, that carried a, a, a Trump flag through the Capitol who did nothing else. She's a misdemeanor and they're, and they're raiding their homes and putting the red dots on their chest at six o'clock in the morning. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that because, and he further said, because when I do that, you're pulling me off of human trafficking cases. So when I was setting up this interview, I told, uh, I was talking to Steve friend yesterday and I told him, I said, you're going to be very interested to hear about my, my uh, story about what I was doing in Houston. Whereas I was riding shotgun yeah. with a private investigator there who's contracted by the FBI. And he was like, you gotta be kidding me. I said, no, I held, I held the FBI uh, paperwork in my own hands. Saw it. We're out of time. Uh, we're out of time. They, Wrap it up ah, quickly, quickly. All right. So we're doing that podcast this afternoon. Uh, go to my locals page and you can get there at tpc4usa.com. That's all you got to type in, tpc4usa.com, and it'll be up tonight. Steve Baker, my hero. <laughs> I don't think you, you can hear this part of the show, but Steely Dan's going in the background. I love him. Have a great day, folks. Thanks again. Steve will be back next week. We'll see you tomorrow.
Wu Chang, her brother. 